Open your Bibles to John 15. We're going to start in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Would you uh, guide my words? Would you speak to our hearts what you have to say about the gift of friendship? And would you align our hearts to yours? In Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to tell you guys a little bit about who I am. I'm Melissa, if you didn't catch that. I'm the youth minister here at Reality. And um, for those of you who don't know much more about me than that, I'll give you a little bit of context. Um, I'm Jewish. You may have heard that already. Um, I grew up in a home with two Jewish parents. They were both the first ones in their Jewish families to come to believe in Jesus. And in the Jewish community, um, Jesus is like a little bit of a touchy subject. Uh, <laughs> oh, good, you know. <laughs> uh, and um, on top of that, you may know about Judaism, like it's a very like family, community-oriented culture. We really value our family. And thankfully for my family, my extended family and I are still very close, but for a lot of Jewish people, when they come to believe in Jesus, that's not the case. They lose a lot of their community. And so growing up, um, I was in a, a part of a community that was full of Jewish people who believed in Jesus. And they did life together in like really practical ways, holidays, bar and bat mitzvahs, weddings, grocery shopping, baseball games, everything. We even like we had services together on Saturdays because that's what you do when you're Jewish. Um, so what I was realizing as I was preparing for this sermon is that actually like really instilled in me this like very fundamental expectation and belief that if you're a follower of Jesus, one, you're Jewish. <laughs> that one I figured out, okay. But two, um, that your life is like really, really connected and involved to other people who are believers in Jesus. That was like normal to me and I just expected that's the way the world worked. On top of that, um, I'm an Enneagram 6, so yeah, you guys are like, that's why she's talking about friendship. <laughs> yeah, um, I friend hard. Like, not like in a I'll do anything for my friends kind of way because I don't. Um, Sorry, but in like a, my two best friends and I went on vacation and I tried to make us matching t-shirts but got vetoed kind of way. Like that's, that's my kind of friendship. And so me talking about friendship feels a little bit like Gollum talking about rings. It's like, it's mine. Um, I will never reference Lord of the Rings ever again from the stage, I promise. I don't think I even could if I wanted to. Um, but that's where I come from. That's a little bit of who I am. And that, that was like shaping who I was really early in life. I grew up on the East Coast. My family moved around a lot. And we had just moved to a new city. I was like around 10 years old. And I had made friends with this girl across the street, Justine. Just so you can have like a visual. You can laugh, it's okay. 
Um, so this is Melissa at 10 years old, and she, I made friends with this girl across the street, Justine, and we were playing. One day she said, um, Melissa, we can be friends like here at home, like that's fine, but like we're not friends at school, right? <sighs> but you know, I was like young, I didn't know better, and I just said, okay. So a few days of school goes by and like I'm a six, I wanna know the rules, I wanna know the expectations, I wanna make sure I can like act as expected. And so I saw Justine with a bunch of her friends and I went up to her and like got right up next to her, that face right up next to her, <laughs> in her ear and I was like, so we're not friends now, right? <laughs> and Justine was like, no, and like walked away. And you guys, it took years for that pain to get start to get tongue, to start to come down, like years. And parts of it are still there. And so, for a lot of us, I know that that's how we come into the topic about friendship. Today, we're talking about friendship, and we're talking about it in our series, Singleness and the Kingdom of God. And I know that we come into that space with hurt like that. Or maybe you're in here and um, you don't come in with hurt, but like you've already checked out the minute you heard me say friendship and singleness, and you're on Facebook right now. Because to you, friendship is like the kid brother to your relationships, your real ones. It's like the, like the one that's there when you have nothing else going on. It's like not that committal, you don't have to take it that seriously. It's there, it's fine, but it's not like really doing anything for you. Or maybe um, when I said singleness, or I said friendship in, this, in our series, Singleness in the Kingdom of God, your heart sank a little bit. Because to you, this feels like a concession speech. Because what you actually want is not to be single. And when we start talking about friendship, that's like your consolation prize. You're like, well, you didn't get the love you wanted, so here's a friend, that should hold you over. This is not a concession speech. And friendship is not your kid brother that you get to put in a headlock and don't have to take seriously. Friendship is a gift of God, and it's how he shows us who he is. It tells us who God is. We have to take it seriously because he does. So today, we're going to take a look first at, at where we are kind of culturally. Um, we're going to take a look at what Jesus said about friendship out of his own mouth and how he embodied that. And then I want to kind of wrestle this question of like, now what? Like, what do we do with all that? So, where are we? Um, I've got this diagram. I'm going to call this like our relational pyramid. And I think for most of us, this probably feels pretty resonant. Um, at the bottom, you have like coworkers, acquaintances. These are people that like, they exist and that's cool. You, like, I don't know, maybe you know their name, maybe you don't. You see them every now and then or you see them every day, but whatever. That's fine. Then you have friends. These are the people that you choose, people that you really like, sometimes you really love. They're a part of your life. You know them, you call them, all that stuff, right? Then you have family, and those are the ones you didn't choose, but your commitment to them is like still greater, all, like sometimes maybe a little bit more obligatory. You love them, sometimes you don't really like them, but you love them, and if you, like if you take a blood test, there they are, so you're stuck with them. That's like pretty much it. And then at the top of our relational pyramid, we have romantic partner. This is our like most chosen person. This is the person who gets the most of our commitment and our attention. And I mean, like I think we all agree, like this is pretty resonant. Right? And I don't even think like it's all bad. Like there's realities that live in this pyramid that are, that are normal and good. But the problem is when this starts to dictate how we value the people in those categories. So you can see that when you start to like play with the pyramid, right? So um, let's say like coworker acquaintances, your boy Steve, like he works five desks down from you. I don't really know Steve, but he's there. And then like one day you end up accidentally grabbing lunch and you're like, man, Steve's pretty cool. So you like bump Steve up to friend. 
like, oh, I know Steve. And then like you and Steve have been friends for like a few years now and like, yeah, you and Steve, like you've done some stuff together and you're like, Steve, you're not just a friend, you're family, right? It works the other way too. Because what if like, you know, me and Steve, we've been getting lunch and I'm like catching feels and I'm like, oh, Steve's so great. And then someone asks Steve for me like, hey, what do you think about Melissa? And he's like, oh, we're just friends, right? Oh, I'm so glad you guys are making noises. I'm like, we're together. <laughs> you can also do the airport test to see this. This is my favorite. You start at the top. Your romantic partner's coming back from seeing their family and they get in at like 9 p.m. on a Wednesday. You like get the car, you go to the airport, you park the car, you go to the arrivals, you've got the sign and the flowers and they like come down the escalator and you like run to each other and everyone's like, oh, they're in love. And it's like really beautiful. Your aunt and uncle are coming to visit you. You, so they say, you pick up from the airport, and you're like, of course, like, get the car, do a few laps around the arrivals area, <laughs> right? And then they call you, and like, oh, we have our luggage, and so you pull up, and the police guy's like, you need to move, and you're like, they're coming, and you, like, get in a fight with them, <laughs> and they come outside, and you like, give each other hugs, it's great, right? Your friend had, like, a work trip or something, and um, they say, hey, I'm getting back at, like, 8, eight o'clock tomorrow night, can you pick me up? And you're like, like... <laughs> I have a meeting tomorrow really early. Like, do you think you could take an Uber? <laughs> right? And if your coworker dare ask you to pick them up from the airport, like, don't you have friends? Like, <laughs> so this is true. I don't think anyone in this room can say it's not true. Our temptation, though, is to blame all of this, kind of what we talked about last week, on that top being romantic partner, that romantic partner, that that's like the top of our pyramid. We can say like, well, yeah, like if you were idolizing romance and marriage and if we just get that out of the top, all of it will fall into place. Romance being at the top of your pyramid is actually not the problem. That is the symptom. The problem is that actually at the very tippy top of your pyramid, if you got the aerial view, romance is not the center of your pyramid. You are the center of the pyramid. Your whole world revolves around you, guys. <laughs> I know. Mind blown. Mine, too. <laughs> There's no denying romance and marriage is idolized. We do not need to take it down, guys. If you're a believer, if you're a follower in Jesus, marriage has impact and importance to you, because not whether or not you're ever married and if you're single, because Jesus said it does, because that's the model God gave us for his promises and his truth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot deny that friendship matters in the kingdom of God because that is how he reveals who he is to each of us, his friendship. He called you his friend. So we don't need to get romance out of the middle. Romance will get out of the middle itself when we dislodge ourselves from the center of our pyramids when we pursue friendship the way God made it to be. So if we take ourselves out of the dead center of our pyramids and put instead the kingdom of God Everything else gets moved because everything else isn't about how they are in relation to us. They come in based on how they are in relation to his kingdom, which like, spoiler for like 25 minutes from now, is in the kingdom of God and being affected by it. And that's what you do as their friend. Now I'm like really ahead of myself though. So that's where we are. I want to talk a little bit though about what Jesus says about friendship because he says it pretty plainly and better than I can. And sometimes when he talked to the disciples explaining things, it was like a little bit like in analogies or metaphors and it was hard to follow, not this. He was straight up. So we don't have to do a lot of work to really like understand what he's saying. He said it very plainly. So let's start with this. Jesus builds friendship first. The, the foundation for his framework of what friendship looks like starts in verse 12. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 
That seems pretty, pretty simple. But the temptation might be to say, well, what kind of love? Right? We know that in Greek there are different kinds of love and each have different impacts and things that it requires of us. For example, in Ephesians 5.25 it says, husbands, love your wives. And that love is agape love. That's like the big love. We all know that one. In 1 Corinthians it defines it as patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, does not dishonor, it's not self-seeking, all the good stuff. Right? That's agape love. So what kind of love is Jesus telling his disciples to have here? He says, my command is this. Agape love each other. God commands, God builds friendship on the highest love that exists. The love that you promised to your spouse at your wedding, that's what he tells you to have for your person sitting next to you. I didn't say it, Jesus said it. So that's where his foundation starts. You are to love each other. God, Jesus says, God agape loved me. I agape love you. You are to agape love your husband, your wife, and each other. That's what God says about friendship. The same love, it's not a, like we want to be tempted like, oh, like I want to like have this romance, it'll be this beautiful, higher, like other love. Nope. Same love he commands you to have for every single human being. Agape love each other. That's his foundation. He doesn't stop there though, he keeps going. In verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. So what Jesus says is like friendship requires this an access. It's not just about like loving someone, but there's like an access and involvement in their life that makes you not just like someone doing someone's bidding, but a partner with them in what they're up to. He says that like that, that is friendship. Now, um, I, this is what we saw him live out with his disciples, right? They didn't just like follow him around and like listen and take notes, but they were like a part of his ministry. They were passing out fish and loaves. Like, they were in it with him. They saw him laugh. They saw him cry. They saw him angry. They saw him celebrate. They saw him heal. They were partners in ministry with him. Um, the last 13 years, I worked with Jews for Jesus, and I was directing a summer camp for Jewish children and youth. And uh, we have a thing at camp called cabin cleanup. And it's, uh, it's like exactly what it sounds like. You clean your cabin. And uh, in our youngest camp, there's, inevitably, there's always one, if not many, eight-year-olds who um, when the, the tri like they're in tribes, they're starting to clean their cabin. And when people start to clean, they like post up on their bunk with their arms folded and they just like have total death stare and they just like refuse to abide with this like human injustice that is cleaning their cabin. Like it just won't happen. And you have two options at that point. You can one, get, like, get up in their face and say like, you are gonna clean this cabin. Here is a broom, get to work. And like that might work, but not, not for long. <laughs> Um, and it doesn't really do anything for you in that camper, right? Like, you are now, like, enemy number one for that camper. Your other option is this. It's camper. Most of them are named David. So you say, David. <laughs> it's, it's a Jewish camp. <laughs> David, um, like, we're a tribe, man. Like, we're a team. And we need you to get this cabin clean. Listen, I know, I know cleaning the cabin's a pain. But at the end of the year... The tribe that had the cleanest cabin, they get tribe of the year. And tribe of the year is awesome. You get $100, you can do whatever you want with. I mean, like, okay, anyway. Um, and all of a sudden, David, who was like refusing to engage with the entire universe, the next day is like standing on a top bunk with like war paint on his face, and like a broom in his hand, and he's like, we will win tribe of the year. Like, all of a sudden, this, this like excitement and passion and like connectedness came out of nowhere because he was not your maid. 
He wasn't told to just do something. He was invited in. He was given access to the whole of what was happening. This isn't about sweeping the floor. This is about tribe of the year. Access shifts something in our ability to partner with people. It gives us, like, it's very practically, we know what's going on, but we also have permission to participate in it. And so Jesus says, like, friendship is, is loving and being loved, and it's having access and giving access. Th- those things, um, those are, like, pretty, ex- pretty normal expectations, even, like, outside of the church and friendship. We expect that our loves, like, love us at least, like, kind of, um, and that they, they know our lives and we know theirs, Right? This is where friendship in the kingdom of God starts to look a little bit different. In verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus says that friendship chooses the other even when it is not chosen by the other. And this is, I think we've all had that moment where, like, we have a friend who, like, kind of, like, does us wrong, and we're like, I do not have time for you, goodbye, you are cut off, you don't deserve me, and they're just like, right? That's, like, how we deal with friendships. Jesus says, even when you're not chosen, you are to choose them. In fact, even when you are actively chosen against, you are still to choose them. And this is Jesus in Romans, uh, in Romans 5.8, he says, or in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is Jesus on the cross dying for the very people who fought to put him up there. You didn't choose me. I still chose you because I am your friend. That's friendship in the kingdom of God. So what is, like, what's the point of that? <laughs> Why, lo- like, why love in that way with all that, un- like, why all that intense love, right? Why all of that, like, really vulnerable access? Why that, like, very generous choosing of each other? Well, our hope, and again, our hope even, even outside of the church is that, like, good friends do something good for us, right? They make us better people. I think, like, you're contractually obligated to talk about the show Friends when you preach on friendship. So this is my, like, six seconds to it. If Rachel would have been the same person on the last episode as she was in the first episode, wouldn't that have been horrible? (laughs) Yes, terrible friends that just enable her to like be so selfish and blah, 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 right? We expect people to, to like grow and change and we expect that when they have good friends, that's a part of how it works. But self improvement still has you at the center of the pyramid. It's not about just improving yourself. Jesus gives us these kinds of relationships and had this kind of relationship to us because he's not interested in just making you a better person. He's interested in making you a new person, like someone unto and for the kingdom of God. It's not about just being better. He can do better than that. He wants to make you new. So not only you new, but the people that you're in relationship, he wants to make them new. Again, it's not about you. We've taken ourselves out of the center. This is like a trickling effect work here. So I know for some of us, um, like you're starting to squirm (laughs) because this sounds like a lot of commitment and a lot of time and who, who has any more time than they're already giving to other things, right? We have jobs, we have families, we have a lot going on. So first, um, I want to give you like some release, but then I'm going to like get you with the hard truth. So here's your release. Robin Dunbar, who is an anthropologist, gave a TED talk on uh, human relationships, and he says that the capacity of an average brain, which is some of us, um, (laughs) 
we have really smart people here, guys. Um, that they can have 150 casual friends at any given time. And then within those 150, they can have 50 medium close friends. And then 15 friends who you can kind of depend on for emotional support, but then five intimately close friends. That should be released to you because you were made with a limited capacity. That's like how you were made. Jesus being fully God and fully human understands that. He had thousands of followers, thousands of followers, but he had 12 that were close to him, that did life with him, that were next to him. So that's your release. And you are commanded, like in one of the big 10, like the big ones, you're commanded to love your neighbor. In later in scripture, you're actually commanded to love your enemy, which means that if anyone has a pulse, you are commanded to love them. So here's the release. There is a difference between friendly and friendship. You're commanded to love, to show that kind of love to people because that's who God is, that's what he's about. And Jesus, he showed that kind of love to everyone who crossed his path. He, he looked them in the eyes and talked to them. He fed them, he listened to them. Even when someone like couldn't get in front of him but touched his clothes, he stopped and acknowledged them and engaged with them. Jesus was friendly but he was very selective about who, to whom he extended friendship. It was very intentional. So that should be a release to us. Like, you don't need to be BFFs with everybody in this room. Released. Here's the hard truth. It is still going to be incredibly inconvenient. That's just the reality of it. So, how do we zoom in on this? Maybe the, the natural question you're asking is like, well, who, who are my friends? Okay, so good I can zoom it in, but who are they? So uh, I'm going to read you another quote. Wesley Hill, who wrote the book Spiritual Friendship, says this. The Catholic writer and activist Maggie Gallagher describes two kinds of relationship. To the first, she gives the tagline, you're mine because I love you. In this kind of relationship, you and I may belong to a special friendship and share many of the joys that that kind of friendship makes possible. But such joys will last only as long as my love lasts. If I tire of you or if I'm hurt by you, I'm free to walk away. No obligations, no hoops to jump through, no strings attached. You belong to me if I can keep up my love for you and you can keep yours for me. We thus dance on the precipice of loss. On the other hand, Gallagher talks about a different sort of friendship. To this one, she gives a tagline that's the inverse of the first. I love you because you are mine. In this latter type of friendship, my love for you isn't the basis of our connection. It's the other way around. We are bound to each other and therefore I love you. You may still bore me or wound me or otherwise become unattractive to me, but that doesn't mean I'll walk away. You're not mine because I love you. I love you because you're already and always mine. And some of you were like, those are great wedding vows. <laughs> right? Like, yes. Like, oh, that's exactly how I feel about my spouse. Okay, let me read you Romans 12:5. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Jesus did not say that these words are reserved for your spouse. Sorry, he didn't. He said, if you're a part of the family of God, you belong to each other. And so your friends are those who you belong to, and there is consistent and mutual love. There is consistent and mutual access. There is consistent and mutual choosing of one another. And when those things are happening, we see the kingdom of God experienced in us in, in God's renewal. That's, that's what friendship is. Your friends are the people who you step into that knowingly and intentionally with. And we see this with Jesus, with Jesus and his disciples. 
They, like, they, he loved them and, and he loved them and they loved him. Granted, like, not as well as he loved them, because come on, he's Jesus, but they did. There was mutual love. There was mutual access. Jesus gave them access to everything. He let them see the whole, he let them see everything up close and personal. And like they saw him in all, all sorts of stages and emotions and places. And they gave him access. He called them out all the time. I don't know if they really gave him access, but they, he had access, right? There was a mutual access. There was a mutual chosenness. Jesus like recruited his disciples. He went and chose them. And I know that we can say like, well, did they really choose him? We know they denied him. But actually there's a point in one of the gospels where Jesus gives a really hard word to a crowd of people and there are people who leave. And Jesus says to his disciples, are you going to leave too? And his disciples say, you have the words of life. Where else could we go? They chose him. So Jesus says that these, these are our friends, the people who we step into these kinds of intentional and consistent love, access, and chosenness with. Now, this might sound really intense. Not to my sixes, though. We're like, yes, I choose you, and I choose you. Like, we're getting excited. I'm excited. That's why I'm doing this sermon. <laughs> um, it is intense. And so, like, what's the point? Like, why do we do this? Like, what is the end of this? Well, if the kingdom of God is at the center of our pyramid, it is, it is to that end. That is why we do this. Because what God is about is about bringing renewal. And it is through his people that he desires to bring renewal to you, to your friends, to our church, to our city. He's doing this work and we get to participate with him in that. That's what the purpose of it is. And Jesus, again, embodied this. When Jesus loved us, knew us, had access to us, and gave us access to him, chose us, and died for us, his death brought new life. Literally, because of, he died, because he rose again, we have access to renewal, to new, abundant, full life. Literally, his friendship brought life. It brought renewal. We get to partner with him in that. Because remember, that's what friendship is. We are partnering with him in his work. And his work is bringing the kingdom of God. You don't need to put that up. I just yeah, I thought it was a phantom diagram. This is what God is about. It won't happen naturally. It is inconvenient. It is like countercultural. And in a lot of ways, it's even like counterintuitive. So how do we do that? How do we get there? How do we walk with God in his kingdom towards, in friendship? Um, well, to start, it requires a lot of accountability. Really uncomfortable accountability. Accountability is kind of all those things put into the, like put into one word. And maybe you've been feeling that in the last few months as we as a church have been going through these really heavy series. Maybe in your communities, in your community groups, your friend groups, you've been wrestling with very hard and heavy things and you've been way more vulnerable and accountable than you ever wanted to be. <laughs> um, I feel you on that. My community group has been right there with you. And we've been wrestling with how, like, how do we do this? And is it worth it? And what does it look like for us to do it? And one of the women in my CG um, gave this really great analogy, and she told me I could use it today, so thank you. Um, she said, you know, it's like we're having a potluck, like when we start to share where we're at, and I don't want to bring in burnt lasagna. And we were like, yeah, like that, I get that. You know, like none of us, none of us really wants to do that. But the more we talked about it, the more we realized, like, we're actually all bringing in burnt lasagna. And if none of us, like, is ever willing to acknowledge that our lasagna is burnt, we're never going to get better lasagna. <laughs> like, that's never going to happen. 
we don't actually need to like bring good lasagna. The point is not to bring good lasagna. The point is to like become the better cook on the whole. And that'll only happen when you say, look guys, I burnt my lasagna. And your friends can then come home with you and look at your ingredients and look at your oven and figure out what's going on and why things are getting burnt. They can be like, well, you use dairy-free cheese. That was never going to be good. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant. I can say that. But this is what we need. This is what accountability does for us. It invites people, it gives them access. People who love us and who we love coming in, having access to our lives, us choosing them and them choosing us even when they see the ugly reality that is our burnt lasagna and experiencing what it's like when God brings new life from that space to that space. Like we said before, Jesus is not just interested in making you a better version of yourself. He's interested in bringing renewal to you, to your friends, to our church, to San Francisco. He's bringing renewal to the world. And he's inviting us to participate with him in that. And he's inviting us to participate as his friends. And that friendship is something we are to extend to other people. So, um, if, if I may, I just want to share a few areas I think we have room to grow in this area. First, um, maybe you feel like you're already fulfilled. Like, you know, um, maybe like for some of you it's your work. Like, my job is really important to me. It, it's developing me into a better, like a better person. I'm able to like work harder and like be wiser and all these things. Cool, Jesus had a really important job and he still had friends. <laughs> like, that one took a minute, okay. <laughs> um, like, God made you to work. Like, that's a good thing. But don't turn it, don't make it an idol. People are God's creation, and he wants to make, like, he wants to make you new through who they are. And he wants to make them new who, through who you are. Maybe um, you're saying, well, okay, so, like, I'm going to be totally honest. Um, it's really intimidating being up here as a single person trying to um, help my married friends catch a vision for what I'm talking about. Because I can't speak from experience of like, I know that like we're just, you know, we've got our spouse and that's a special kind. Like, I, I can't do that. I'm not married. Like, I can't. It's impossible. So I'm not going to try. But here's what I, I want to do. I'm going to just re-say something Dave said last week, and then I want to just ask a question. Last week, Dave said, our singleness is for the purpose of the kingdom of God. He said our marriages were for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And so if, if you and your household family are, are kind of in this like bubble of vulnerability and intimacy and closeness and you're just like doing really well in there and you're growing and that's, how is that serving the kingdom of God? Question mark. Um, we need you. And if I may be so bold, you need us. Like friendship was, is is not a, a picker of single or married. It's, it's God's gift to us all. Remember, he said, we belong to each other, even if I don't have a wedding ring on my hand from you. So maybe you're on the other side of that, though. Uh, maybe you feel like friendship is, like, too unfulfilling. And I'll be honest, again, this is something, like, I, I feel with you. We're talking about friendship in our singleness in the Kingdom of God series because as single people, like, friendship has an important value to us. When our days end, we don't have someone whose head hits the pillow with us. Like, we are dependent on other, on friends 
to be people who are actively helping us mature and grow and hang our guitars on the walls and like fix light bulbs. Like we need that, those kinds of people in our lives in ways that married people maybe, maybe don't as practically. That's hard for us to hear sometimes. We don't like want to acknowledge that because it's painful. It highlights that we're missing something. And so for us, you feel like maybe like this is just, it's too unfulfilling. Like friendship's like a placeholder for what I actually really want. It's that consolation prize I mentioned earlier. Here's the thing though, that's just a lie. <laughs> um, a few weeks ago, our staff had the opportunity to spend some time with David Bennett, who's an author. He wrote the book of War, A War of Loves. And David identifies as a gay Christian celibate man. And he was sharing some of his journey getting there. And, um, and he talked a lot about friends, really important friends that played big roles in his life as a single man. And so knowing I was sharing with you guys, I was like, David, like, how do you, like, what I, what I asked, like, to be really honest, was like, how do I get one of those friends? <laughs> like, how do I find me one of those true and good, like, how do I recruit a friend? I think I literally used the word recruit. Um, <laughs> You guys, I'm a mess. Um, but this is what David, this is how he answered me, and so I'm going to share that with you. What drives the idolatry for romantic love is the desire for permanence from another person that, can, that only God can give. The engine of idolatry is trying to search for permanence where it cannot be found. There are moments of sensing that permanence in another in the kingdom where we are all fulfilled, but ultimately God can be the only one who is that permanence. Every single one of us is trying to fill that longing, even the married people in here. I've heard. <laughs> you can tell me after if I'm wrong. Um, we're all trying to fill that permanence. And if you think that a romantic partner is going to fill it, that's a lie. And if you think a friend is going to be a placeholder in filling it, that's a lie. That's a longing only God can fill. And so to set your expectations on romantic partner and then be disappointed with your second, like with your consolation gift, friendship, the whole thing's out of whack. Only God can fill that longing. And here's the really good news. It is highly likely that he wants to use friends to help you understand how he fills that longing. They are his gift to you. Jesus was a single man. He had friends. They were a gift to him. Um, maybe you're in either of those categories, but maybe like you've been so hurt in friendships, you just avoid them, like hard avoid. You've been, like me with Justine, like you just have walls that are up that you just, if anyone gets close, they're just going to hurt you. So you just build up walls to be self-protecting and not let anybody in. I feel your pain. <laughs> I could talk for hours on the ways I've been disappointed by friends and hurt by friends. So does Jesus. He had terrible friends. <laughs> They, they betrayed him, they denied him, they never got him, they fell asleep on him. <laughs> he had terrible friends, and in the Bible it says that he called them his own and he stayed with them until the end. Jesus knows what it's like to have, to have bad friends, to be disappointed by friends. He knows your pain. He, can, he wants to sit with you in that pain. And remember, what he's about is renewing and making things new. He wants to redeem and make new what the enemy has stolen from you. Like, that's what he's about. And again, it is highly likely that he's going to do that through the gift of his people. And finally, um, I think I would not be allowed to walk off stage if I didn't 
address this final area where we have lacked in friendship, the friend zone. <clears throat> yeah, like if you're single, you're like, oh, please don't talk about that. Um, I could say a lot of things. This is what I'm gonna say. As followers of Jesus, we need to be reclaiming the friend zone. We have just like, we have ruined, we have like just like tore apart God's, the word friendship, this gift from God. We have just turned it into garbage. And friendship, like the friend zones become a place where you're like, like associated with like rejection and failure. It comes with like a sigh and a slouch. Like I got friend zoned. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, friend is a badge of honor. You should be so lucky to be somebody's friend. And if you aren't, don't know how to like intentionally pursue somebody while maintaining love and access and chosenness for them, even if you're not romantically interested, you do not understand the gospel. You do not understand friendship. And Jesus is asking you for more. You have to honor and respect those people. And if you feel like, I don't even know where to start, come to our dating lecture on September 30th. <laughs> the rest goes to you, Matt. <laughs> so that's friendship. What do we do with all that? Um, I, the way I see it, we have, we have two invitations here. One, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to experience, one, the friendship of Jesus, and two, you are instructed to be projecting the friendship of Jesus. Going back to our teaching text, in verse 13 it says this, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Jesus made the greatest friendship move of all time because he loves you, knows you, chose you, and is, in, is like actively renewing you. And he gives you and charges you to do the same in the lives of people you know. We need to be leaning into that. And maybe like that all feels really far away, then you need to start at the top of your pyramid and asking God for a vision of his kingdom. God, I don't even know how to move myself out of the middle. Ask him to adjust that in your heart. Those pieces will naturally adjust because not naturally, supernaturally. I think the second invitation though here is this. Maybe you're here today and um, like you know about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. Like when we start talking about Jesus as a friend, it like feels a little bit, um, I don't know, like just kind of confusing and out there. Here's the thing. Jesus made the first move already. He said, though you did not choose me, I chose you. I've laid down my life for you. I, am, I want to be your friend. And I want to do a renewing work in you that is better than you can possibly imagine. And all you have to do is like say yes and thank you. In just a few minutes, um, we're going to get some kind of a call to how do we respond to all of this. And um, I would encourage you that if you feel Jesus tugging on your heart, like I want to be your friend, say yes. Come down and pray with someone. Invite him, in, like say yes to his invitation to that kind of friendship. As the band comes out, I'm going to pray. Jesus, you are a really good friend. You are generous and you are patient and you are kind. And it is your desire not just to, not just to like fix us, but to like grow us and know us better and to renew us. God, we need a friend like you. And we want to be a friend like you. So this morning, would you align our hearts to you? Give us a vision of your kingdom that takes us out of the middle and puts your heart in the middle and is able to like radiate out into the people you've placed in our lives. God, would we raise the bar on friendship because you are a good friend 
and because this is your gift to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.